Hello, mothlings, ghouls, and creatures of the night. You must have been attracted to our lot. You're listening to the Midnight Moth Podcast. I'm your host, Wednesday, from the Bam Pumpkin Guts, and this is your co-ghost, the Moth Ma'am, Molly Von Mothra. Hi, guys. So I hope that everybody out there is ready to get ghostly today because we are talking about some ghost stories. (laughs) (laughs) Getting ghostly. (laughs) You know, haunting people. (laughs) You know, the the regular stuff. The regular stuff. So um, these stories that we are going to talk to you about today, they are a little bit different from our typical ghost story episode. Um, Usually, you know, we kind of look for haunted places and things like that. Instead, today, what we have done is found some stories that are related to... um, ghosts that spoke with people to I don't know let them know that they were murdered or something along those lines yeah it's more about a lot of people having interactions with spirits yes a lot of people (laughs) a lot of people talking to the dead people (laughs) so it's kind of you know these are still a little bit like uh, psychic centric in in some ways and then um, we also have some stories for you that are ghosts who uh who kind of aided in getting their their murder solved you know like court case related ghost things <laughs> i'm ter- i'm terrible i'm doing a terrible job at explaining this <laughs> well if you keep listening then you'll understand what we're trying to say <laughs> exactly uh we have ghost stories for you that are about ghosts who talk to people so that's good enough explanation <laughs> It's very interesting, and you should stay and listen to it. Yes. Before we get into that, though, I just wanted to quickly mention that my band, Pumpkin Guts, has got a show in Louisville, Kentucky next month on February the 18th. So anybody who's in the area um, should check that out. And if you want more information about that, you can go to Pumpkin Guts's Instagram account or Facebook page and and we'll have like ticket info and all that stuff on there. And I'll probably put a link to it in the show notes here. I just wanted to throw that out there though, because I think that'll be about a month from when this episode comes out. If you want to see Pumpkin Guts, you have the opportunity. <laughs> Do you want to have a nice little spooky Valentine's date? Oh yeah, that would be cute. You feel like, oh yeah, it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> we I didn't even think about that but yeah you could definitely come come see us as your belated Valentine's Day celebration and maybe I will bring you a Valentine's Day card you never know oh <laughs> well yeah. spooky Valentine's yeah so okay any mothling who's listening if you let me know that you're gonna be there I will definitely bring you a Valentine's card <laughs> that's reason enough to come I would hope so I don't I don't know if anybody likes me that much or not. <laughs> I'm not self-deprecating or anything. <laughs> now so, you guys have to go or Wednesday's going to think you hate them. I probably think that anyway. <laughs> probably. I have issues with anxiety, okay? <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm sorry. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, 
Pumpkin Guts is going to be real busy in 2023. So just if you are uh, not following us, you need to. If you like if you like the theme song for this show and like other stuff that maybe you've heard by Pumpkin Guts, just, you know, we have a lot going on in 2023. And hopefully Midnight Moth will also have a lot going on in 2023, but it's only January. So who can tell? <laughs> We're going to try our best. Yeah. <laughs> We're still going to be here regardless, though. Oh, yeah, every week. Every week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, i am got, like, a caffeine thing going on. I, normally, when I, we record, I only drink water, and I'm drinking a Diet Coke right now, and I already had, like, I had two cups of coffee. I'm hyper a little bit. <laughs> I wish caffeine still had that effect on me. It mostly makes me shake, but um, (laughs) (laughs) but it does also, I I don't know, derail my thoughts a little bit, I guess. It makes me a little all over the place. (laughs) It doesn't do much for me after, you know, my 300 years of life. (laughs) Oh, no. I guess you would have a lot of time to build up a tolerance. (laughs) (laughs) Probably by your 50. Um, Mm -hmm. All right, so um, we are going to get into this episode, and uh, this this first story is actually Molly's story, and it is got some stuff to do with a court case in it. Okay, so until I was researching this, this is actually not a story that I had ever heard of, but it's very interesting, and it involves a ghost being called to court over his own murder. So, oh, wow. Okay. So this is the story of John Gamble's ghost. John Gamble was a carpenter from Pennsylvania who came to the Padden City area around 1850 when he was 36 years old. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> <laughs> the most important detail there is that he was 36. <laughs> he was 36. <laughs> <laughs> He bought 50.5 acres and settled along the Ohio River. Being the great entrepreneur that he was, Gamble quickly found a niche in the river trading industry, trading wagon parts, livestock, and many other goods. That year, he sold a wagon to the Whiteman brothers, who also lived along the Ohio River. He accepted a $20 IOU as payment, and then later bought a calf from a Mr. Leb Mercer. Gamble paid the entire price of the calf, save for $2. So he owed this man $2. Which I guess would be what, like maybe $50 or something now money? Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to think he sold a wagon for 20 bucks. Right, yeah. So, okay, so I guess $2 maybe was a, a, a pretty a big deep. amount of money in this time period. Yeah. So autumn soon arrived and it proved to be a great year for apples in that part of West Virginia. Again, banking on his entrepreneurial skills, Campbell got involved in the cider making business. Short on barrels one day, he took his skiff to a nearby New Martinsville for more. On his return trip from New Martinsville, he stopped by the Whiteman farm to collect his IOU. The Whiteman brothers still could not pay and at the time were receiving another visitor, Leb Mercer. Since IOUs were being discussed, Mercer asked Gamble if he could pay him the $2 he owed to him. Gamble put out a $5 bill, but Mercer did not have any change and asked Gamble if that was all the money he had. 
Gamble foolishly disclosed that he had over $200 in cash on him, but no bill smaller than a five. Oh, no. Which was a, a big, big amount of money. Yeah. During that time. Gamble left the farm and pushed off down the river on his skiff. It was the last anyone would ever see of him. Until the following fall, John Hodman, a citizen of New Martinsville, was in town attending a corn husking on Point Pleasant Ridge. Does that sound familiar, guys? Mothman. (laughs) The Mothman. (laughs) He's watching the Mothman as corn. (laughs) (laughs) You know, corn is like the Mothman's main food source, so... (laughs) (laughs) When it was time to leave, he and his friends split up. It was their intent to each take a different route home to see which was the best way to go. Hanman took the path along the Ohio River known as Gamble Run. It was on this path by the light of the moon that Hanman saw a figure of a man step out in front of him. The man spoke to him, saying, I am John Gamble. Love Mercer killed me. Take him up and have justice done. The figure then disappeared, and Hanman ran all the way back into town. It wasn't until the next day that he told his story. He described the apparition, and even though he had never known or seen John Gamble while he was alive, was able to accurately describe his clothes, his speech, and other characteristics. Wow. The townsfolk thought to talking, and many believed the boy's story. It was also reported that Lev Mercer was seen moving towards Gamble as he left the Whiteman farm. Therefore, that year, a Wessel County grand jury decided to investigate the case. It was further discovered that Leb had the missing IOU for the wagon on him. His own mother even testified that the not John Gamble went missing. His son arrived, her, his son, her son arrived <laughs> home at 2 a.m. and covered with mud. Leb Mercer was arrested on first-degree murder charges, and the case went to trial in 1854. The defense attorney, desperate for a court of action, claimed that since the only witness to the crime was John Gamble and that it was the ghost of John Gamble who pointed the finger at Mercer, then he should be called in to testify. Okay. In a move that baffled everyone, the judge agreed. (laughs) (laughs) So the ghost was called in to testify, and when he failed to appear, you know, shocker, he was charged in contempt of court, (laughs) and Lev Mercer was ultimately acquitted. He later moved to the town of St. Mary's, where he was often seen acting strangely and muttering to himself. Because he was probably plagued by that ghost. As he should be. Yeah. So, unfortunately, the story cannot be verified nor disproved, as many records, including the court transcripts from this case, were lost or destroyed before 1900. But it's a pretty well-known story in the area. Yeah. I mean, I think that... I don't find, I don't have any issue obviously with a, a ghost like testifying or whatever, but I, I think it's bizarre that they were like, Let's call the ghost to court and then when the ghost doesn't show up that they're like, Oh, well, we're just gonna acquit this guy. Like that that's wild. That makes no sense to me. He obviously wasn't murdered since he didn't show up right like why didn't they take the court to the riverbank where the guy saw the ghost at and maybe it would have came there they just take the whole court <laughs> <laughs> or or why didn't they bring a ouija board into the court and do that <laughs> i feel like that was so interesting and it feels like it almost feels like that led mercer like paid him off or something because that's such a like crazy thing for them to do 
Yeah, I agree. That is wild to me. I can't, Let's I call know. the ghost to testify. Right. What would you even do if you were watching a court case unfold and that was the thing that happened? Like, they were like, oh, you know what? Let's call let's call in the spirit and um, whatever the spirit says is what we're going to do. <laughs> what would be more wild is if he showed up. <laughs> oh, my God. I wish he like would Like his have. ghost. Yeah. I really wish he would have. Or, or that they would have, like I said, like used an apparatus of some sort to try to talk to him instead of just being like, oh, we want the ghost here, and then being, you know, upset when the ghost didn't appear. Yeah, I just, like, I feel like, how else would this guy who never knew who John Gamble was, or, like, knew what he looked like, or anything like that, like, how would he perfectly describe him, and also know this other guy's name when he was from out of town and didn't know any of these people? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't know. I feel like the that guy's testimony should have been enough. I don't think they should have had to have the actual ghost himself there. No, me either. My story also takes place toward the end of the 1800s. So I'm going to be talking about the Greenbrier ghost. And I hadn't, I hadn't heard about this before. The Greenbrier ghost is a really well-known ghost story from West Virginia I hadn't heard it before until I was, you know, doing the research for this. And apparently in Lewisburg, West Virginia, where this story takes place, there is a plaque there next to the highway that commemorates the Greenbrier ghost. So you can actually read this story directly from that little plaque as well. So it's not something that the it's not something that the town denies or anything like that. But some of the some of the stuff about like the the ghost activity and things like that people will uh, on occasion omit that because I guess they don't believe in it or whatever but so in Lewisburg West Virginia on January 23rd 1897 Elva Zona Hester was found dead she lay at the bottom of a staircase inside her log cabin she was born in 1875 so she was only 22 years old at the time of her death her marriage to Edward Shue had been made official only three months prior. All of these things had made her death a surprise. Originally, it had been deemed natural causes and believed that she had either had a heart attack or some kind of complication due to pregnancy because these things were very common at this point in time. This would have been the end of the story like so many other premature deaths that occurred during the 1800s. But... I wouldn't be telling this story if it ended there. (laughs) Andy Jones was an 11-year-old neighbor who worked for the family, and he was actually the one who had found the body. He had went straight to his mother and told her, and then to the blacksmith shop where Edward worked and informed him of what he had found. So, you know, Edward was her husband, and Edward seemed immediately distraught. He ran home, picked up his wife's dead body but not like all of it like he like basically cradled her head in his hands and immediately began to cry and told the the boy to find dr george w nape to come and you know to i guess like he was like a coroner and whatever so anyway this whole time even when the doctor came to examine the body Edward continued to hold her head in his hands. 
And the doctor looked at her over and looked over, like, the scene and all that stuff. And he said that she had most likely died from a faint, which would mean that she had a heart attack and died. And that's At 22? At 22 years old, that is what he said. Which is just wild to me, but I guess that just speaks to how people perceived women, especially at that time, that, like... He was like, oh, she must have fainted and died. Like, something. She fainted. Right? Like, I don't know. She had a faint. That's such an interesting <laughs> way to, like, say that, too. I've right. never heard that. She had a faint. She had a faint and she died. Yeah. She was frightened to death. <laughs> so, Edward, he helped to prepare her body for burial. And again, continuously stayed near the head of her body. He put things on each side of her head in her casket that he claimed were things that she, like, loved and cared about, saying that he thought it would make her spirit rest easier. And he also tied a scarf around her neck for her burial as well, saying that it was her favorite scarf and he couldn't stand to see her buried without it. I feel like I know where this is going. You probably do. (laughs) (laughs) Within the, like, the month after the burial, Zona's spirit began visiting her mother, Mary Jane Hester. She told her mother from beyond the grave that Edward had been responsible for her death. She said that during their short marriage that he was very abusive and cruel to her. And that one day in an angry rage he had attacked her and broken her neck so zona's mother told anyone who would listen about these ghostly visits and eventually the whole town began to suspect that edward had murdered zona so mary and zona's uncle johnson went to the prosecutor at the time whose name was john a purton And they tried to get him to investigate further into this death because of the things that the ghost had told her. And, of course, he was skeptical because he didn't believe what she was saying. He was like, this is a hysterical woman. This is like, you know, just a a mother grieving and whatever. So he didn't want to look into it. But the more that she talked to him, the more that he came to believe what she was saying. He did decide to change the the manner of death to murder and open up an investigation. So when they spoke to Dr. Nape at this time, he confessed that he had not performed a thorough autopsy on the body or anything like that for his diagnosis. He literally just looked at her and said that that was what had happened. And that's all that he did. Wow. Right. (laughs) So they decided to exhume the body to do a actual thorough autopsy. And during this time, they also looked into Edward's past and they found that he had had two wives before Zona that had also died under strange circumstances, with one of them falling from a haystack and breaking her neck. And the other one died from a rock falling on her head while they were repairing a chimney. Okay. Yeah, so this guy is clearly like a serial killer. (laughs) This guy just loves to break necks. (laughs) Evidently. Specifically. The neck breaker. (laughs) (laughs) So when they exhumed Zona's body and did the thorough investigation of her, they found that her neck was broken, her windpipe was crushed, and she even still had fingerprints from where he had strangled her. Oh, wow. That doctor should have, like, went to jail. 
I agree. Like, what? Like, I don't even understand what happened. What did he do? Just walk in there and see her body laying in the guy's lap and was just like, oh, poor guy lost his wife. She must have died of a faint. I don't know. (laughs) I think (laughs) he just walked in there and he's like, this is really awkward and I gotta get out of here. This guy, like, will not put this woman's head down. (laughs) This is real awkward. I need to go. (laughs) (laughs) Me. So, on the the court date and all that stuff, they didn't they didn't do what they did in, in your case. They didn't call the ghost in to testify or anything like that. But they did use the testimonial of the ghost from Zona's mother to you know to add to like the I guess like the prosecution and all that stuff. Like they used it as evidence. But if you look into this, it will say that there was no ghost testimony but there technically there wasn't it was on his mother but the ghost did tell her what had happened and they did arrest and convict uh edward and he actually died in prison a couple of years later this is the only case in america in america's history where a ghost testimony helped to convict a murderer that is insane like I love that he did actually get arrested, though. I was afraid that he wasn't going to get got for it. but Oh, no. He definitely got what he deserved. He, th- there was much more justice in that situation than there was in the uh, in, in the gamble situation. Yeah, and I feel like both of them, to me, had, like, an adequate amount of proof. You know what I mean? Also, like, your guy had already killed two other women. And nobody thought anything weird about it. Like, oh, what a freak accident. This woman fell off a stack of hay. And broke her neck. And this other woman had a rock fall on her head. Like, And then this poor girl just had a heart attack at 22 for no reason. A faint. A faint. She had a faint. Oh, man. Okay, so my next story is about the spirit of Ashley Howley. Ashley Howley was 20 years old when she disappeared near Columbus, Ohio, on June 16th of 2004. Earlier that day, 911 received a call from Ashley saying her boyfriend, Robert McMichael, I think is how you pronounce that, Mm -hmm. had assaulted her. She had made plans that day to go stay at her best friend's house, but she never made it there. About nine months later, oh, nine months (laughs) That's eight months. <laughs> I just wrote it bad. Oh. <laughs> about nine months later, she had a baby. <laughs> and it was a ghost. <laughs> it was a ghost. <laughs> was Do you know something funny? I was looking at what I had wrote down for that the next story I'm going to tell, and I have. He he was a married man, and I was reading it as he was non-married man. We so you also thing. have an A that looks like a non, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> now you're like automatically when you read your story, you're going to say he was non-married man. <laughs> Probably <laughs> married man <laughs> with the power of marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Captain Planet. (laughs) Captain Marriage. (laughs) Captain Matrimony. That's who you go to at the courthouse that gives you your wedding (laughs) license. 
Oh my god, I wish. I know. <laughs> Captain marriage. <laughs> About a month later, Ashley's mother filed a missing persons report. It was also around this time Ashley's car was discovered abandoned in a parking lot. There was a lot of suspicion that Robert had something to do with her disappearance, but there wasn't enough evidence to prove anything, so the case went cold. But roughly a year after Ashley's disappearance, Chrissy Robinette, who's a psychic medium from Michigan, which again, Ashley went missing in uh, Columbus, Ohio, so keep that in mind. Okay. Psychic is from Michigan, so she, you know wouldn't know anything about this right christy was asleep when she says the ghost of a woman woke her up she said the ghost said that she had been murdered and that her name was ashley christy had helped authorities with cases before but said this was the first time she had ever had a spirit reach out to her for help christy had no prior knowledge of ashley's case but made the connection after searching missing persons on the internet Police put her in contact with Ashley's family after she was able to accurately describe exactly what Ashley was wearing when she was seen for the last time. Ashley visited Christy several times throughout the investigation and gave details of what happened to her. Christy traveled with Ashley's family to a location that Ashley described where she said that her remains could be found. However, the authorities couldn't dig because it was on private property. Later in 2008, in April of 2008, Ashley's remains were finally found. Her body had been concealed in cement and was identified by dental records. Robert was arrested that year, charged with Ashley's murder, along with the murders of his mother and her boyfriend, whose bodies were found inside their home in December of 2007. It was reported Ashley's body was found in the exact location Christy said it would be. Oh, wow. So that guy was, uh, for one, a serial killer, clearly. Paco, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, imagine, I don't know, like having your body buried in cement. Like, that's awful. Yeah, I know. That's terrible. That's, and it's like, it's kind of scary because it's like, how often does that happen, probably? Right. Like, Like, there's someone, like, there's people doing like construction and stuff, and like, if they're gone on lunch and they just keep it pouring or whatever, like, I'm sure that's not like a regular occurrence. Like, all the murderers in there, you're just like, oh, it's time to dump the bodies, guys. <laughs> that's how you end up with haunted bridges. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, though. I don't know. I just, what do you do also at that? What do they have <laughs> remains wise for your family to bury or whatever? I guess teeth. Oh. Yeah. It said that she was identified through her dental records. I mean, I don't, because I know doesn't concrete, like, after it dries on your skin, doesn't it, like, burn your skin off? I think so. I think it's got stuff in it that eats the, that would eat, like, the meat off of your bones. But maybe there was it would... an episode of Grey's Anatomy about that. <laughs> oh, okay. I do think that would just be the worst. And I could imagine if your body was trapped in cement somewhere, your spirit maybe would definitely not be able to rest. Like, that's, I don't know. That's just awful. I hate that. Well, another thing that uh, I didn't mention it, but another thing that Christy said about Ashley's spirit was that she seemed very, uh, she seemed very revengeful. Yeah. That makes sense. Which I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, someone murdered her. (laughs) <laughs> and put her in concrete i would be too i think anyway <laughs> i don't know i'm not 
I haven't been I haven't been a ghost yet, but <laughs> I haven't been murdered in concrete yet. <laughs> Ugh, hope it's not in the cards. Um... <laughs> so anyway, what's your next story? <laughs> okay, so I found the story of a man named John DeMars, and anybody who is a fan of unsolved mysteries maybe would recognize this story because it was featured on the original Unsolved Mysteries back in like the I think in the 90s. So John DeMars was a 30-year-old banker in Manhattan, New York. He was a married man with two young children seemingly his life was happy and untroubled so his disappearance on december 20th 1974 came as a shock to his entire family he had not been on his usual evening train that evening no why did i write that (laughs) (laughs) evening 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 (laughs) evening 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 (laughs) when the train that he usually rode home in the evenings stopped that day he was not on it (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) and his wife reported him missing theories quickly arose that he may have left on his own accord potentially running away with a lover or having stolen money from the bank where he worked these theories were disproven and detectives were and detectives were stumped on what had happened to john this is when detective sal labartzi enlisted the help of psychic dorothy allison Dorothy Allison was a well-known psychic based in New Jersey who had helped police investigate hundreds of cases. She was not always able to help, but in this case, she was able to contact the spirit of John DeMars, confirming that he was in fact dead. She said he had fallen off the train and drowned. Other key clues that she gave were the number 222 and a bow and arrow. These clues meant nothing to police at first, and they still could not locate John. Two months later, a father and son were practicing archery at the Passiac River, and they found John's body when one of when one of their arrows missed the target and landed near John's body. The discovery was made on February twenty second, which would be two two two. So both of her clues, even though they were very cryptic, did end up you know, like actually being involved with uh, finding his body in the end. And his death was ruled as an accident because apparently what had happened was the train made a stop that was not a typical stop. And John had been asleep on it and he woke up disoriented and had stepped off of the train and fell like from his train car into the river. I don't know how nobody saw this happen, but evidently that is what happened and there is some um there is security footage of him on the train but not of him falling into the water or anything but his death was ruled as an accident and his body was finally able to be laid to rest he, uh, that seems a little far-fetched to me that it was an accident i don't know i you know i kind of feel that like that's a little sus I also, like I said, like, why did nobody see it happen? How did no one see this man fall in the river and offer him help or whatever, you know? And, like, I don't know. I I can't really say because I've never been on a train. But is it that easy to just, like, open the door and just, like, fall out of it? <laughs> you wouldn't think so. but you, maybe No, for safety precautions, you wouldn't think so. Right. But, like, maybe where the train was stopped or something, it was maybe the doors were open when they wouldn't have normally been opened or Something like that. I don't know. Or he thought that it was time to get off. Maybe he thought that he slept through it or something and got tore up. I don't know. And he just 
I don't know, stepped out into the river. Just imagine you are, uh, I don't know, on your, well, on your way home and you, you fell in asleep. You fell in asleep. You've, <laughs> you have fell asleep and just so groggy that you fall into the river and drown. I don't know. I'm sure it was cold too. He probably had hypothermia, but I just don't know how nobody saw it. That's the thing. I don't. I don't get how in, in New York of all places, how not a person saw this man fall into the river. Yeah, really. Because like I don't know. That's pretty wild. But I don't know. Thankfully, <laughs> that uh, his spirit was able to reach out to that psychic, and they were able to eventually you know lay him to rest or whatever but i guess technically she didn't she didn't necessarily aid them in finding his body though she was just like hey this is what he told me and he gave me some clues about apparently the future (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) because it didn't locate you know that's not what located him it was the the it was the arrow and it just was on that day the number that it's still spooky though still crazy Oh yeah, definitely. I agree. I just think it's like she did. She really wasn't the one that located him. Though. <laughs> in in any case, he did. I guess he did let her know, like, "Hey, I'm dead," and they were they were able to know that they were looking for a deceased person by that point. Yeah. So, what's your next ghost story? All right. So the next one that I have is about a man named Andre Daigle. Uh, Andre Daigle was a 27-year-old carpenter in New Orleans. On June 9th of 1987, Andre drove his truck to a restaurant called Chi-Chi's to meet up with his friend Nick Shelley for dinner. After eating, they went together to a place called Mitchell's Lounge to shoot some pool. While at Mitchell's, Andre meets a woman at the bar who called herself Thelma. Andre and Thelma hit it off and flirted all night. When Andre and Nick went to leave, Thelma asked Andre for a ride home. The next day, Andre didn't show up for work, and when nighttime came and no one had heard from him, the family became worried and notified the police. They began an investigation, but there were no clues as to where he could be. But police didn't think it was foul play and that he may have just ran off, but the family disagreed, saying it was very out of the character for him. Andre's sister, Elise, who lived in California, was desperate for answers and reached out to Rosemary Kerr, a psychic. Rosemary instructed Elise to bring her a photo of Andre along with a map of Louisiana. When Elise arrived, Rosemary asked for the photo, didn't look at it, closed her eyes, and laid it on the table and began rubbing it. After a few moments, Rosemary said her head began throbbing as if she was being hit over and over. She also heard a voice say, my head is killing me, and also saw a vision of a black truck with a very distinct scratch down the side. And this is important later. Elise confirmed that that was Andre's vehicle. There was someone in the passenger seat with long blonde hair who appeared to have a strong hold over Andre in Rosemary's vision. Next, Rosemary asked for the map of Louisiana, a place she'd never been before, and rubbed her hand over it. Again, she was struck with head pain and got a vision of a swamp, a long low bridge over water, a sandy beach, and the number seven. She continued methodically tracing her finger across the map until she reached the city of Slidell which is about 30 miles outside of New Orleans. She felt what seemed like a jolt of electricity and told Elise that that is where Andre was. 
Andre's family immediately left for Slidell and amazingly passed Andre's truck going the opposite direction. They turned and began tailing it, and they recognized it due to the scratch that was down the side. Inside was two men none of them recognized. A long chase ensued, which ended with the truck being cut off by police. The men inside of the truck were identified as Michael Phillips and Charles Jervis, both of which were small-time crooks who had been in trouble before for burglary. Police thought this was just a typical case of a car theft, but after being booked, Phillips and Jervis admitted to murdering Andre. Oh, no. Phillips used his girlfriend, Thelma, to lure someone back to their home to kill and rob. And uh, I didn't write this part down, but I do remember that they, this is kind of scary that people are so crazy and stuff, but um, Mm -hmm. apparently their whole reason, they needed the vehicle, they needed a vehicle, so they needed to steal a car from somebody anyway. The only reason that they chose to kill him is to see if they were capable of doing it. Oh, no. They just wanted to see if they could. That's disturbing. Yeah. And it. Uh, they said that there wasn't any particular reason that they chose Andre. It was just completely at random. Yeah. Phillips and Jervis took turns hitting Andre over the head with a hammer, then eventually strangled him with a vacuum cord and a coat hanger, which explains Rosemary's pounding headaches. Right. His body was later found stuffed inside of a sofa near a strip of sandy beach in the Manchac Swamp just off of Exit 7. That is, wow. So that's all those things that she was seeing in her vision. She saw a sandy beach, she saw a long, low bridge, a swamp, and the number seven. Wow. All details matched Rosemary's visions. She was so accurate, she was summoned to the subsequent trial as a witness, which is the first time a psychic had ever been given testimony on a case they helped solve. Wow. That is wild. That is so scary, too. That story is just, that's terrifying. Well, it's like this man was just out trying to have a good time and was being a good Samaritan, and it got him murdered for no reason. Yeah, no good deed goes unpunished, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. That is, I don't know, I hate that, though. That's so scary. I can't, people are terrifying. It's so scary that somebody's just like, it's scary to me when people have, like, zero motive. Yeah. I mean, they needed a vehicle, but when they're, they're straight up just like, oh, we just wanted to do it for funsies. Like, we just wanted to see if we could. Right. Yeah. That's, that's so scary. That's messed up. All right. What's your last story about? So my last story is about Lisa Poslins. Lisa Poslins was a 38-year-old realtor in Toronto, Canada. On November 2nd, 2002, Lisa did not return home to the apartment that she shared with her sister, Helen. Helen alerted the police, and when they arrived at Lisa's office, a grisly scene was discovered. A trail of blood led the police to a utility room on the ground floor of the building. Lisa had been stabbed multiple times, and ultimately her throat had been slit. Ray Marcuse was the building's janitor, and he was suspect number one. After DNA found on Lisa's body didn't match Ray's, he was cleared of suspicion. Four months after the murder, Ray was cleaning a black table in the building when Lisa's spirit appeared to him in the reflection of the table. She pointed behind him as if to implicate someone or something, but when Ray turned around, he saw no one. Ray felt that she was trying to tell him that Nelson the 
the Jungus who had previously worked at the building with Ray was who had murdered her. I'm not sure exactly if he just got a feeling or like what, but she didn't say anything. She just pointed, but I guess that's the only thing that he could think of. I don't know. That, that is enough. That's all he needed. <laughs> right. <laughs> After notifying the police, they got a DNA sample from Nelson and it was a match. So essentially this terrifying like vision of this spirit appeared to him and was like i don't know can you even imagine that like somebody that you knew who got terribly murdered their reflection just popping up to you while you're cleaning something and pointing it it just seems like something from like a a scary movie also like i just wonder how he got all of that info from that right i don't know if it what I'm imagine like what I'm imagining is that where she was pointing behind him or whatever. I I guess maybe he just thought like that she was talking about the other janitor. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure, but that's what happened, and it was correct. So, <laughs> but yeah. So apparently, the motive there was that Nelson had had feelings for Lisa, and she didn't return them. And I guess he. He didn't work there anymore at that point, and he had come back in there while she was there working by herself and had killed her. That's also terrifying, because that happens way too often. And I'm not trying to sound sexist or anything like that, but it seems like it's a, a lot of the time it's with men. Oh, yeah. Like, definitely. if women turn them down, then they get mad and kill them. I mean, you don't really... Every now and then, I guess, you might have a female who ends up being very, like, stalkerish or something to that degree, but... It is not it is not a typical response of a woman to be like, Oh, that man didn't like me, so I'm gonna go kill him. But men do it all the time. Yeah, and that's terrifying because it's like I don't know, it seems like a woman always has to have it in the back of her mind, like when a man's flirting with her, like, Oh, I better be nice or he might kill me. Oh, yeah. Do you know how often I have been scared by people on the internet even like they they cross a line and I'm like I don't know what to do with this because I'm worried that they're gonna come track me down somehow and like you know kill me or whatever that happened to me a lot when I was on tinder oh god that's so like scary. I'd be talking to a man and he'd start being creepy and then I'd be like oh no he knows a little too much information about me what do I do right yeah yeah, it's a uh, it's scary out there, and I hate that for that that woman. I mean, I am glad that whatever it was about her spirit appearing to Ray and like making him realize that she was talking about Nelson and it actually leading to justice. I'm I'm really glad that that was able to happen, but that just sucks that that's why he killed her. Yeah, I mean, there's never really a good reason to kill someone, but that is definitely not a good reason. It's like if I can't have you, no one will. Yeah, yeah, that's very. Ugh, I hate that. But no, it's just really spooky that people have these abilities and stuff because it's like, you know, a lot of the times you're apprehensive about it, but in instances like this, I don't know how you can really deny it, you know, like, especially like in your story, like with the 222 and the arrow, like, there's no way that she just like randomly said that stuff and it happened, you know? Right. Yeah, that's too, I mean, it was months later, it was like two months later, so the only way she could have known is if something came to her and told her that. Yeah, because there's no way that that's just coincidental. No, it's too, it's way too spot on. Like, it's wild. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and I watch documentaries and stuff like that. And a lot of times 
you do hear like a psychic will call in a tip and they'll go check it out and it'll be nothing. Uh, they have literally drained ponds and stuff before because psychics have called in tips and been like, oh yeah, I saw the body here and it ended up being not being there. But in these cases, the psychics were actually correct. So, I mean, for every... I think for every, probably every 50 people who are frauds, you have at least 20 who are not. I don't know. There's just no other explanation. And like in my story about Andre, how would she know that? Like, how spooky is it that she's like, oh, Swamp Beach number seven? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's not just guesswork. And also she never even been there. So... No, she had never been there. She didn't know anything about it. She pointed to, like, the exact location. She had a vision of what his truck looked like, even. And, like I said, like, that scratch was, like, really distinctive, and it mattered later because she said a black truck with a big scratch down the side. Right, yeah. So, I don't yeah. know. That's wild. It's, it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's, like, I guess unexplainable, and it just is really fascinating. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's definitely lots of paranormal events in the world and unexplainable things that happen. And even in darker times, I think it makes the world a little bit more magical. And knowing that there are some people out there that spirits trust enough to come to them and be like, hey, look, you know, help me. This is what happened to me. I, that's, I think that those people must have really kind souls because why else would a would a victim spirit come to you and and trust you you know yeah well i think that about wraps up this episode um this is probably the closest to true crime that we've ever gotten on this podcast <laughs> yeah um i guess we're kind of kind of crossing the little line there <laughs> still paranormal though yeah, it was a good mixture of true crime and paranormal. And uh, I just, I also wanted to say my sources um, for my stories was from Ranker and Wikipedia and Reader's Digest. So, oh, and also technically Unsolved Mysteries. Let's see, mine was also from Reader's Digest, uh, mlive.com and grunge.com. Good sources. <laughs> <laughs> I never know what to say when we're tell- talking about our sources. I don't think we really have to say anything, but I'm always like, mm, I don't know. I feel like I need to put something there. <laughs> I mean, if you guys ever wanted to like read the stuff for yourself, like now you know how to find it. And you know, we're not just making up stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> these are my real imagination things. isn't that elaborate. <laughs> so if uh, if you all have any stories about psychics and ghosts or murder investigations or anything like that that you would like to share with us or honestly just anything at all that you would like to share with us you can if you always, are a psychic if you are a psychic yes what are your experiences let us know did you ever help solve a murder that would be kind of <laughs> cool <laughs> if you did will you come on the podcast and tell us about it because that would be cool <laughs> yeah, I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> but if you have anything like that that you would like to share with us, you can send it to the Midnight Moth Podcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Midnight Moth Podcast. And if you would like to reach out to Molly, you can find her over on her Instagram account. 
Yeah, you guys can find me at TMM underscore co-ghost. And as always, I love to hear from you guys. I love getting your messages. Anything that you want to talk to me about, my inbox is always open. We're always open to any of your feedback. And we always love to hear your stories and stuff like that. So, Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep bringing you these weird I don't even know what we're I don't know like I I know normally we do stay more towards paranormal so um we're not gonna venture too much into true crime it's just sometimes you can't help but cross the two things because someone has to die to become a ghost as I have said many many times and sometimes that death happens to be from murder so (laughs) when murder is involved it is true crime (laughs) 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 but anyway we do appreciate you all so much for listening and if you could wherever you are listening at give us a rating give us a review it helps other people to find our show and if you would also be so kind as to share our show with people in your life that would enjoy it because we want to grow our audience and we want to continue to make content for you all and uh yeah the more people who listen the more fulfilling this is so (laughs) yeah (laughs) but anyway yeah we appreciate all of our mothlings out there and uh we will be right back here next week with a brand new episode um oh actually next not just next week but we're gonna be here again tomorrow on friday the 13th with a new episode Yes, because we're going to be watching Friday the 13th, Part 7. Which I understand seems a little weird that we would just pick a random sequel and, and do that. But um, we where it is the new year and we're kind of looking forward to the future and all the things that this year has to hold, we kind of went with psychic stuff as much as we could this month. And um, Part 7 of Friday the 13th is about a psychic, as you probably know. <laughs> Or you may not, but you're going to know now. And really, um, if you guys want to follow along with us and watch that movie with us, you don't, I don't think you even necessarily need to watch all of the movies. They kind of like link up with each other, but they're all entertaining in their own respect. So even if you've not watched any Friday the 13th, you guys could still watch this movie and enjoy it too. Yeah, it's a uh, it it can easily stand on its own. It's not really it's not like a Halloween situation or anything like that. Like most of these movies just kind of stand on their own. I think there's one character in the entire franchise that carries over and it's only for like three of the sequels, I think. And even if you did not watch them, there is a very elaborate recap at the beginning of every sequel. So you can watch the you can just watch that recap and you'll know what's going on it's no big deal (laughs) if you just like want to google jason's backstory real quick that'll tell you pretty much everything that you need to know about the background stuff exactly so yeah we will be here uh covering that and probably i don't know maybe also briefly talking a little bit about the jasons because i can't help it we always do when we talk (laughs) when we talk about friday the 13th movies because Um, you have to yes the only friday the 13th band that i'm uh aware of is is the jasons and even if they're not the only one they're probably the best so (laughs) (laughs) but yes we will uh we we will be here tomorrow with that episode and then of course back to regularly scheduled programming next week with our episode about the yeti we hope that you all are having a good start to your year uh so we will be back tomorrow and until then We'll keep the lantern burning for you.